and welcome to Midriff, the podcast about gender, music, and music gear. I am your host, Hillary Jones. So we're heading into week eight of quarantine here in Rhode Island. Uh, the weather is improving, which for me, at least, is really helping a lot uh, to be able to be outside a bit more. Uh, last week, I participated in a Zoom live stream performance for the first time, which I have never done before. Uh, it was to celebrate Girls Rock Rhode Island's official name change to Riot Rhode Island, which is rad. Congrats to those buddies for that important work um, towards inclusivity. So that was a really nice time. But the technology was like, let's just say, challenging. So I was doing literally just one solo song, not even trying to sync with other people and still had a hard time. In the first run through, everything sounded like it was running through a flanger, which to be fair, kind of is great, uh, but not what I was going for. Uh, then Denise at Riot did some research and found out that there uh, is a setting to like keep original sound, which helps a lot. So if you are doing a Zoom uh, live stream or any other music through Zoom, I guess that's good to know. Probably you already know that. It was news to me. So apparently Zoom compresses and like normalizes the sound. So that was causing the flange effect, which, uh, you know, maybe I'll try and integrate it into my performance next time. Uh, if, you know, if not, it's good to know that there are options. So uh, hats off to everyone I know who is teaching music virtually right now or engaging in other sorts of like online music collaboration Oof, it is not great. So uh, getting into our interview, in this episode, I had the, honestly, like the <laughs> the amazing pleasure to speak with Julie Robbins, who is the CEO of Earthquaker Devices Pedal Company uh, and a certified badass in the music gear industry. Um, I've watched Earthquaker from afar for a long time and specifically admired their social media marketing, which has been much more representative and inclusive than the industry as a whole, uh, for sure. And I've seen them really as a positive example. Plus, the Palisades pedal is, I will say, the star of my board. Um, I love it so much. And I also have a hoof on there as well, um, which I use for uh, special fuzzy occasions, you know, just to like kick it up a notch. Uh, they make legitimately rad pedals. Um, if you and, and some really weird, uh, some like pretty straightforward pedals and some super weird pedals, which can be super fun as well. So, uh, Julie is the CEO with her husband Jamie Stillman, who is the president of Earthquaker, and uh, Julie is often behind the scenes. Uh, but as you can hear in her interview, her experience has helped grow the company and you know, the intentionality with which she approaches diversity, equity, and inclusion is very real and makes a huge impact on her employees, on their, on customers, partners, and I would say on the music gear industry as a whole. Uh, so in the gender and music gear survey that I released a few months back, which I will talk about a bit more at the end of the interview, uh, quite a number of folks mentioned Earthquaker specifically, like unprompted, for the good work that they do around gender and diversity. And then when I interviewed the, the other, gear, other gear companies at NAM, which you can listen to um, in episode three, they were me mentioned more than any other company uh once again, unprompted for their work in this area. So they are definitely in high regard. And as you will hear in the interview, for a very good reason. Uh, Julie provides a literal ton of tips and recommendations for folks in the industry who, who want to make change. So definitely, uh, you know, take a listen for that. If you want to keep up with Midriff, please subscribe. 
And if you really want to help others uh, hear about it, please rate and review as well. Links uh, for Instagram, Facebook, for my uh, email newsletter, and are all in the show notes along with mentions and links for Julie and Earthquaker as well. So as a quick note, this interview is from back in February and definitely, definitely pre-lockdown. So I asked Julie for a follow-up about how things are going at Earthquaker, and here is what she said. We are doing our best to navigate this dystopian science fiction novel turned reality. We have been working from home, building pedals and all since March 23rd. Yesterday, a small skeleton crew returned to the shop, and we hope to start getting orders out the door again in the safest way possible. So with that... Here's my interview with Julie Robbins. Julie, welcome to Midriff. Thank you, Hillary. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Cool. Um, can you do me a favor and, and, and the listeners, the kind listeners, a favor and, uh, introduce yourself, your name, your pronouns, and a little bit about you and your background with music. Awesome. Yes. My name is Julie Robbins. My pronouns are she and her, and I'm the CEO of Earthquaker Devices. I run the company with my husband, Jamie. I actually don't play any instruments, but I'm a big fan of music. I listen to lots of music and I've been involved in the music industry in a variety of ways um, for a long time, mostly uh, sort of related to my husband and his projects. So back in the early 2000s, I started a booking agency and I started with booking his bands and then at some point was booking almost 50 bands. And that's a lot. It is a lot. It was a lot <laughs> then too. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of my friends have always been musicians and I've always kind of found ways to support them and things like that. So I'm definitely more in the background, never really had that inclination to be on stage. <laughs> Did you ever have the inclination to just like play like for yourself or anything like that? You know, I took some piano lessons when I was young and I like got really bored with it really quickly and yeah I mean sometimes now I think like god I wish I played anything because I've got all this stuff but, <laughs> but like yeah. I just for, for listeners who can't see there's a beautiful <laughs> drum kit back here a beautiful a number right. of beautiful organs uh yeah it's nice <laughs> and Jamie has like dozens of guitars and hundreds of pedals so like if I played I could have it all but I think that was kind of my lot in life was to be surrounded by all these things that are just not really my thing so like I also I'm not a beer drinker I don't really like beer but my brother's a brewer <laughs> you know what I mean so it's like uh-huh oh well yeah. yeah I know it's my 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 partner and I like I I'm really into music and music gear and he's really into bikes and that's that's his thing so he's yeah like, I'm gonna get into bikes I'm gonna get into music so we can like it's you know you just have people have their things and that's fine that's right <laughs> it's healthy mm -hmm. um uh so what are you psyched about working on right now at Earthquaker <clears throat> well the first thing that's coming up um in early March is we are putting out our first Eurorack module 
And um, this has been a long time in development. I'm really excited to see how this is going to go. It's kind of opening up a lot of new stuff for us. And that's going to be really cool. It's the Afterneath Eurorack module. Nice. Yeah. And then about a month after that, we're coming out with an updated version of the Afterneath, which is one of our top selling pedals. It's getting a pretty major update. It used to just have one mode and now it will have nine modes. Whoa. I know. <laughs> um, <clears throat> when we redesigned the clock for the module, we decided to incorporate the new clock into the pedal. And then you can also use an expression pedal with the drag feature, which was a big frequently requested feature because it sounds really cool when you manipulate it when you're playing. And now you can do that with your foot. With your foot. My mind is blown. Mm. Yep. Uh, I feel like y'all are always doing like 8,000 things at the same time. So it's, I'm sure, a lot to, to juggle. So what does your day-to-day kind of look like? I'm sure it's very different every day. <laughs> yeah, I do a lot of meetings. I'm like constantly buried in emails. <laughs> and then um, between me and my bookkeeper, we're doing all the accounting tax, you know, sales tax, all that stuff is always yep. changing. There's a lot to keep up with there. There's a pretty much a revolving door in my office of people coming in with questions, concerns, problems of varying degrees of intensity. You know, I'm always open to talk to people and help them sort things out. So, yeah, doing all the manufacturing the way we do, we have a lot of, um, you know, thousands of components that we're trying to keep in stock so that we can ship everything. And the good news is, is that sales are like booming. But when you have a spike, an unexpected spike in demand that really, you know, has a trickle down effect into the manufacturing and we've really got to, you know, make sure our vendors can keep up with us and that sort of thing. It's a challenge. An an unexpected (laughs) spike. Is that like like some, you know, famous musician suddenly talks about a pedal that you weren't focusing on and or how does that happen? Well, in this instance, it's usually a pedal that does a lot better than we could have ever imagined mm. and in this case it's the um plumes which oh. we put out in august mm-hmm. and just to put it in perspective we just invoiced the ten thousandth plume last week plumes and um we just also hit the ten thousandth rainbow machine oh, which wow. has been wow. out for like 10 years right so <laughs> um even though we thought it would be a great successful pedal we had no idea this successful <laughs> and the plumes is your like tube screamer clone like not clone but like yeah e- equivalent pedal right mm-hmm. yeah, yeah we actually have a couple that do the tube screamer thing and um this one is a more straightforward um tube screamer but it still does even more than that we have two others the palisades i play a palisades it's like my key pedal in my in my setup yeah that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so that kind of does like all these Tube Screamer mods, but not so much the traditional Tube Screamer. Mm-hmm. And then the Dooms is like the mini version of that. And now we've got the Plumes. And the other thing about that is we really wanted to come in at a super competitive price point. And so it's only $99. And it's like I said, selling like hotcakes. A bargain. I know. <laughs> you can't afford not to get it at that price. <laughs> That's right. It's like like you're you you just you get so much you're gaining so much and spending so little, right? (laughs) So you said you're you you are dealing with these spikes. You're dealing with like you know the 
all the taxes and all that stuff. And, you know, you've had kind of an interesting journey to your role. So how did you become CEO of Earthquaker? So let's see, when when Earthquaker first started, we didn't even realize we were really starting a business. <laughs> Jamie just started tinkering <clears throat> with the He had a DOD 250 overdrive that broke and he opened it up and was like, that's all there is to it. You know, it just wasn't wasn't that many components in there. So he got really fascinated. He started, you know, he fixed that. He started doing like DIY electronic projects, trying to figure out how electronics worked. And then from there sort of started making his own versions of things and just for himself or for friends and then putting them on eBay. And in the meantime, I'm like working at a bank and I'd come home and help with different phases of the production like at this point he was doing everything by hand himself like spray painting enclosures using water slide decals or silk screening <laughs> enclosures etching the circuit boards everything yeah and um <clears throat> he would always try and get me to solder but I was like drew the line there I was like I'm not doing that <laughs> no. um so I would do what is called assembly and we jokingly would call it lady bits and it was called that until like two years ago and then we changed it to just assembly <laughs> but anyways yeah and boxing and doing the books at the end of the year and stuff like that and we were already used to having kind of a lot of income from various sources 1099 income or mm -hmm. you know just trying to cobble together a living through a bunch of different things and then we hired our first employee in 2010, he's still with us today. And that allowed Jamie to keep making more and more. And I think those two guys were cranking out like 100 pedals a week, which is really crazy. Wow. Because right now we have like 50 people and we're making like 12 to 1400 a week. Mm -hmm. So the scale is pretty wild. And yeah, so in 2011, I had kind of a major shakeup in my life. And that's my son's father took his own life and it really made me like look at everything look at what i was doing at the bank look at how i was spending my time and was just right. like life is too short and um felt really risky at the time because the bank was kind of our stable income and even though pedals were consistent you know it's a big plunge to take you know to put your whole family's livelihood <laughs> in all your eggs yeah. in one basket so to speak so, um, and one of the big things that we needed to maneuver was to set up insurance for us and for our employees. I was a financial planner and kind of wasn't taking my own advice that, you know, you do the research <laughs> and you crunch the numbers and you see how it works. I just presumed that it would have to cost so much more than what we were paying at the bank, that at the mm -hmm. bank we'd get way better rates and for a small group with a little experience, but it turns out we got great rates. We got better rates than we were getting at the bank. Oh, wow. And that was really helpful because we kind of established a precedent of a standard of benefits that we've been able to maintain and only improve on. So crossing that bridge, you know, I, I left my job and then kind of my first order of business was to really button things up. Like, you know, I made an employee handbook and mm -hmm. made our benefit policy more official and you know, got all of our accounting systems set up and then sort of started trying to see where I could be helpful. So Jamie had been doing almost everything to do with 
dealers or everything else. So we kind of, he's, he maintained like ordering inventory and still did a lot of stages in the production process. And about at this point we had about 10 or 12 employees. And then I started managing dealers and dealer sales and the order flow and working with our production team to find a more efficient way of filling orders. We were really mm-hmm. backordered at that time. I think like maybe like three months backordered or oh, something wow. like that. And um, I kind of always had stayed out of like that flow of things. And then especially when we moved out of the basement into the shop, you know, I was trying to get caught up. And so came up with some systems for how to fulfill orders. You know, previously, Jamie was like really busy and working like 18 hours a day. Right. And would only ship pedals like once a week because he was like sick of shipping. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, well, well, we'll ship pedals every day. And then there was kind of a flow that was set up that every pedal would be completed in a batch. And you know, it would start with the circuit board population and then go through the different stages of production. And I pushed really hard to, you know, keep population as a batch. That's more efficient. It's not efficient to populate like three pedals. Mm -hmm. But then if we've got those circuit boards ready, well, let's put three of them through and we can fill that order today Mm -hmm. and the rest can get done tomorrow or whatever. And we kind of started our our system then and now it's a pretty advanced version of that (laughs) whereas before i'd be going around with like a notepad and looking over people's shoulders and see what they're working on and tallying up everything and now there's (laughs) putting a post-it note on their back and (laughs) coming back yeah no i would give like our production manager and a shipper like a post-it every day and i'd be like make these and tell me when they're done Mm -hmm. and then we can ship these orders yeah yeah and then from there, it just kept growing. It's like when we would get caught up, um, then we'd get like another spurt in demand or sometimes it was based on a pedal, like the Afterneath, for example. Mm-hmm. So where, where I'm recording at right now, this is our former office. Oh. And when we hit that Afterneath, that really changed things for us. And we really felt like we needed to hire more people. We didn't have enough room. We decided to take, you know, we were not making our own enclosures. We were buying those from another company. We decided to bring that in-house. And so then we looked for another building. This is in 2015. And so now our new headquarters is down the street, and it's a 15,000-square-foot building. And um, we had about 30 employees when we were in here. So the, the room next door was the main production room. And it was just completely packed. Couldn't even really stand up whenever you wanted to. <laughs> you built like, built like loft, lofts of <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it was just it was really really tight. And um, now it's a really awesome facil- facility. We don't have tons of extra room. We've pretty much used it all up, but it's really functional. It's really nice. Yeah. So that's kind of how it how it happened. That, I mean, I feel like it's such a beautiful, like, small business owner growing, you know, to, like, an international business story. Uh, and, like, but I think I appreciate you getting into some of the specifics of the actual production, too, because I feel like people are like, oh, it's so cool that you're doing this cool job. That's great. But they're, like, you don't see all of the, like, back end, like, doing the taxes. Right. Like, doing, you, know, <laughs> under, you know, figuring out processes and, like, uh, you know, employee benefits and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think like a cubic foot of paperwork comes through my office every week. It's really nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like you're the one that has to 
has to do it. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I think that comes to like, I, I'm, you know, in thinking about like the, the husband wife dynamic that you all have, how does that work out for you all? Like, how do you manage that part? And, and I feel like I see this a lot in a, a number of companies too, but I feel like you all are, you know, you're, you're obviously very successful. And I think other companies are looking up to you too. So I'm just like, how does that work out? Well, it's, um, can be really challenging, but I would say it's also awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like, you know, me and Jamie complement each other in really good ways. Um, and then probably we also challenge each other in a lot of ways too. So here and also everywhere else I've looked, I've kind of looked at, well, what's deficient, what's lacking, you know, and how can I help make that up? And, you know, our kind of division of labor, we, it's pretty apparent to us who's better at what. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, it's like the, the parenting stuff and the home stuff is a lot easier than the work stuff um, mm. in terms of like division of labor. But I would say they're both equally challenging, especially when you're raising kids. I will say I really appreciate our therapist, Crystal. Go Crystal. Uh, we, yeah. We, high fives to Crystal. Yes. And I would highly recommend anybody who, you know, is doing this to make sure you have some sort of professional that you can discuss things with. It makes it things really so, a lot easier. So crucial. And I, yeah, it's, I, I feel like people just need to talk about therapy more and be more open about it. It's like, yeah, yeah both like fan. individually as a couple, whomever needs it. Right. Well, I mean, Owning a business, it's really stressful. You know, I feel like we could look back at different phases of our development or relationship and the the issues or the problems have changed and evolved, which I think is really good. I mean, it would be really annoying if we still had the same frustrations, but as soon as you solve one thing, something else pops up. So, you know, it's definitely a challenge, but it's rewarding. You know, I think that it always pushes me to, you know, like if it was just me and him, I could be, I could say whatever I wanted and, and maybe let my emotions get the best of me sometimes. But when you have a team of people and they're sitting there listening in, <laughs> you really don't want to do that. You, you got to keep it professional. Of, you want to keep it professional. You want to keep your emotions in check and you know, you don't want anybody to feel like they're torn between mom and dad or anything like that. And <laughs> I would definitely say we've made those mistakes at various times, you know. So something that's been really helpful for me is just just being really democratic about everything. Mm -hmm. I don't my my management style is not to just come in and tell everybody what to do. It's more to solicit their feedback and see you know, what solutions they see and maybe help them navigate things like that. But and maybe, you know, give my input and maybe push the timeline or things like that. But like I said, really take everybody's point of view into consideration. I think everybody takes their job really seriously and things have the, a way of impacting everyone involved. So I think it's better when their feedback is known and you learn from your mistakes and keep moving forward. What do you what do you think as far as like that is like a pattern like in the music your industry in particular there's like often a builder and then 
the um their partner is doing more like operations or admin mm-hmm. or something like that like how do you what how, what does that look like to you yeah i mean i think that that's pretty much it where you know there will be probably shared manufacturing responsibilities in a smaller team mm-hmm. <laughs> and then one person sort of specializes in the design and someone is more specializing in the admin side of things keeping everything moving yeah, I think that that's a really common thing that you'll see in the industry. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because it didn't like I, I obviously I'm aware of that dynamic and I think that exists in a lot of small businesses, but it mm-hmm. didn't occur to me really until I was at NAM and I just like met a lot of folks who had that situation and I was like, oh, yeah, OK, this is super interesting. So, yeah, it is really cool. I can think of um, quite a few companies that are husband and wife run and managed or, you know, their partners or. And then in the other, you know, if they're not married to them, it's usually some a, a friend or someone that's been able to step up and handle what the one person isn't good at, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or maybe maybe they are good at it, but you just can't do everything. So right, you have to break it down some way. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. So I want to take a sec to like, what are your thoughts around gender and diversity in in music, your industry, sort of overall? Where, where, where are you at with it right now? Let's take, let's take Julie's pulse. Well, fortunately, I live in this wonderful bubble where it's mm-hmm. great. But, you know, you were at NAM. Indeed. Yeah. There's <laughs> no lines in the ladies' room. We'll put it that way, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it certainly is not as diverse as I would like to see it. There are incredible women involved, but not as many as I would like to see. I would love to see a much more equitable representation of women and people of color and all of that. Yeah. I think yeah. that there, we have a long, long way to go before I'll really be satisfied. Yes. <laughs> I have seen some good trends though, you know, what are the trends? Um, you know, I'm seeing a lot more female demo artists and just not white dude demo artists, um, mm-hmm. showing up and at the NAM show. And, you know, I think they were, always there but now there's a greater representation mm-hmm. and um, I think that's super there's some really great examples of women in the industry and I think you know we we host this pedal builder summit every year and a lot of the new pedal companies that come have more female or non-binary representation I think that's awesome so, you know, those are trends that I'm seeing, but, you know, there's a long way to go before I think we'll can say, oh, we've done it. <laughs> Check. Yeah. Done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. What do you see as like being some of the major challenges at this point? Like, obviously, there's been a lot of progress, but what like what needs to happen in the industry in order for there to be real change? Well, some of the challenges that we see is just that we don't get as many women applying for jobs. Mm-hmm. I would say it's like 95% male applicants. And I'm not 100% sure why that is. Um, you know, we've had women that have worked for us for a long time, and they're really happy there. And it's a great job. But it's just not reflected in the applicant pool. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a common thing across like any tech related industry, right. right? So I don't think that you're alone in that or that think your industry is alone in that at all. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's like that whole pipeline issue that people talk about and, right. you know, what are all the things that cause someone to not, I think it's 
you know, like there's more women, like cis girls in math in high school than mm-hmm. that, are, that are successful than boys. And like slowly right. as they go so through college <laughs> and they go, you know, they start applying for jobs and they, you know, have these weird experiences with their professors or whatever. Like it right. just sort of peters out and they're like, well, I guess this isn't for me. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that, you know, something that on the other side, um, say like marketing materials, you know, I'm always really pushing my marketing team to have as close to equal representation of genders or, you know, just um, not too many white dudes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's a little bit easier, but it does take more work to find women who are interested and also available in performing in videos. And, you know, we have a number of different video sort of series, everything from, you know, where you're talking tone to doing a rig rundown type thing. We call that mm-hmm. a board to death or show us your junk, which is kind of a studio tour. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll just say that the people that are most eager and hitting us up wanting to do things, they're mostly dudes, you know, mm-hmm. but women are interested in doing it. But it just takes more work to find them and coordinate schedules and everything else. <laughs> it, yeah. Do they ever have any hesitation around, like, if you've approached someone, do people, are there ever like, mm, I don't know if I want to do that? Yeah, um, I've heard a number of reasons why people are not interested in doing it. Some people don't want to do it because they're not comfortable talking technical mm-hmm. uh, details to to pedals, which personally I think is fine. I don't think, I think the manual is as technical as it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And um, it's more interesting to hear their take on what's happening than, you know, regurgitating the manual. You know, there's there's people that just aren't comfortable talking on camera at all um, about anything. And then I think that if you're a female and you're performing, you just there's a whole lot more criticisms that you're open to or commentary that you're open to that I don't see happening with male performers. And that's, you know, like nobody is talking about how hot they are or not hot they are. Or, you know, I also think there's just like a different standard that they, that um, a lot of these kind of internet trolls hold women to in terms of like playing and things like that, that I think is like ridiculous, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> how did, how <laughs> you've talked a lot in your in in your marketing about like you want to present the world you want to see as far yeah. as your marketing is concerned, like as mm-hmm. as a philosophy. How does that relate to this? Like, what? How do you how do you go about you know making change through marketing and like dealing with trolls and and the like? Well, um, when we're planning our videos, um, we're really trying to promote as many as many women or people of color as we can and I'll actually kind of cut off I'll be like okay that's enough dudes anymore that we're (laughs) going to do it's going to be um it's enough white dudes we've hit our white dude cap (laughs) and now you know you should really just be looking for women or people of color Mm -hmm. to round this out and then, you know, we're pretty proactive about reaching out to female artists instead of just waiting for them to walk in the door um, and knock on the door. So I'm a bit more proactive about, say, giving my artist team a list of women that I would like to see 
um, that I admire mm-hmm. that I'd like to see playing with stuff. And, you know, even if they aren't eventually going to do a video, I think still think it's cool to support them. Mm-hmm. So I think that we just put a lot more thought into, you know, how to cultivate these relationships and find people. If we were to just leave it to chance, I think we'd be, you know, just over- overwhelmingly male in our content. And that just doesn't feel right to me. But it, it sounds like it actually takes you time. Like you're you're mm-hmm. being intentional about it, right? It's not like oh, it's definitely. happening by accident, mm-hmm. right? Like you're making lists and you're not just like, well, this person wanted to do it or like, mm-hmm. you know, these are the my buddies that I know, like right. who are all cis white dudes. Like here's, you know, you're you're focusing on taking the time to to do it and being clear about what that representation looks like, which I feel like yeah. shows and people recognize that. Yeah, I think so. Um, even though we're not like overt about it and you know, I kind of personally get frustrated by anything that is, you know, you know, like, I don't think we need women in rock. I think that we need, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, I don't, we don't need these sub sections of success. Mm-hmm. We need just like equal representation wherever there is anything. So that's what mm-hmm. I'm aiming for. But like I said, yeah, it does take some thought and planning and intention behind it. And, you know, also just personally, I just recognize that women and people of color have not been given an equal shake. <laughs> they haven't. They've been disadvantaged. Um, their voices haven't been heard. You know, it just is really sad to me that that's the situation. So, you know, internally, you know, I'm very clear to everybody how I want everyone to be treated with respect everyone to, you know, feel appreciated for their contribution um, and things like that. That's all really important to me. You mentioned about the trolls and, um, you know, something that we're fortunate is that we have somebody who is kind of full-time managing our social media channels. And, you know, I think for probably a lot of companies, it's hard to have the time to keep an eye on all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, the person who's doing it now, his name's Yuri. He's really funny. I feel like he's really good with the the punishers on there. <laughs> <laughs> and there's kind of a fine line between like shutting him down with a comment or letting a contrary point of view be heard about, you know, this puddle just isn't good. Where I draw the line is anything that is attacking somebody for their, you know, their gender or anything that's like, really nasty directed at the person the performer and unfortunately there just are a lot of people out there that just say every dumb thing that comes to mind (laughs) no matter how rude it is and um, they feel like they can publicly post that information so I don't want to I don't want you know somebody who's performed in a video to look at the comments and be troubled by what's on there so if somebody just says something dumb, we might just delete that comment. If it seems to be a pattern or it's nasty, then they're blocked, banned mm-hmm. <laughs> off the list. No more, no more Earthquaker content for you. <laughs> You're done. Yep. <laughs> I was, uh, so I'd done this like gender and music year survey and I'd asked people about like their thoughts about companies who were doing a good job. And one person in particular said, When I see brands like Earthquaker Devices actively court diverse musicians for their gear, it's noticeable. Let's just say the last four pedals I bought have all been EQD pedals. 
Oh, that's nice, awesome. Right? Yeah, that's but awesome. it's but I think it's like it points out both like that you know people are paying attention and they notice mm-hmm. when it's happening, but also that like if you're a business, there's you know and not and I in no way am saying that this is a necessarily should be at its base a business decision, but I it's just wild to me that people just don't even see that you know like they're yeah. like oh I'm alienating a large number of people if I am not doing this well or I am right. you know, bringing people in to me if I'm am doing it well that's right that's right <laughs> it's weird it's almost like people don't have the same brain as me and we have different thoughts and opinions right <laughs> exactly well I mean if we were looking at everything on like this black and white you know what is our current audience comprised of and you know if we were trying to reflect that it would be mostly male you know but that's just not what I'm concerned with I'm I'm happy to do it the way that we're doing it. And there may even be times that we get more, you know, there's just more shit to be sorting through in the social media comments. That's not, right. that's not really helping us do what we need to do any better. But if you're going to go in this direction, I think it's important that you do that. If you leave it totally unregulated, it could be wild. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I feel like, for me, it's one of the it's one of the first things I'm like, what is this company like? And the first thing I do is look at the comments mm-hmm. to assess like, is this is this company going to be like supportive or not? Mm-hmm. You know, or, or am I going to feel comfortable if I like if I like their page or whatever, or mm-hmm. if I follow them? Is it going? Am I just going to be seeing a bunch of terrible <laughs> terrible comments because I don't right. want that in my life? Right. Right. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, I was really flabbergasted looking at some of the St. Vincent guitar comments, Mm, just mm -hmm. why those are even there, you know? Yeah. Like, for me, I'd rather, like, block ban that person and never sell them a guitar than, you know, somehow be perceived as, you know, permissive of anything like that. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm happy to have business, but not at any cost. (laughs) And I feel like that that is too high of a cost for me to pay personally right. if you're alienating other people who are supportive and on board with what you're trying to do yeah yeah we've done some other things that you know were helpful so i know we were one of many companies that helped shut down the bikini issues of the guitar magazines um, oh my god thank you you're welcome <laughs> you're welcome I, you know, I i oftentimes tell that story that's like my one of my first stories when I talk about why I am interested in this is like because I read that I read that magazine when I was like 15 years old and I was like oh maybe this isn't maybe music year is not for me maybe I should maybe guitars not for me was when I saw right. the swimsuit edition so I really appreciate that you're welcome and you know that was something that that was one of their best selling issues you know they mm-hmm. had all of these business reasons why they should maintain it. But fortunately me and enough other advertisers told them we just, you know, would not ever participate again that they listened to us. So mm-hmm. I'm really thrilled about that. But, you know, last week we exchanged some emails. I sent you this postcard we got in the mail. <laughs> uh, this like nude woman uh, on her knees facing a fireplace with a guitar kind of on her butt just casual that's what you do right you don't do that at home right I don't even like I don't even know how that how the so she'd have to be there then somebody placed the guitar there (laughs) you know yeah anyways it was a guitar stand 
That's yeah. What she is. Yeah. yeah. She is a guitar stand, but it was an ad for picks and something about embracing all your curves and, you know, was maybe some sort of misguided, who knows? I don't know. I can't, I can't even imagine what would make me want to do something like that. But so, yeah, there's clearly people that still think, you know, sex sells or whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I just kind of wish everybody left sex out of it altogether. And I never got a response, by the way. Oh, well, you know, I'm not entirely surprised. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I would have been very curious. I know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I am curious, though, as, as in addition about I know you have we talked a little bit about manuals and manuals mm -hmm. being required for uh, for talking about your pedals. And I and I read somewhere that Jamie had said that one of the things that he tries to do with the pedals is make them simple enough where you don't require a manual to like make cool sounds. Yeah. Um, and, I'm, and I was thinking about that as far as like the intersection between like that and like gender. And and I think that there's this common thing where a lot of like cis women feel like they're not supposed to touch the knobs. They're scared of the knobs. They're scared of uh, tech. They're told that that's not a place for them. So what is, is that, do you see an overlap there? Hmm. I'm not sure. I mean, I certainly know a lot of women that love knobs and the more the better and, you know, are, you know, really down to understand sort of a complex product. But I think in general, when you're playing guitar, as opposed to like keyboards or other more knob focused <laughs> instruments, having something that's just more straightforward and easy to get a good sound out of that you don't need to read a manual and there's not all these things that are going to trip you up and make it not work the way that it's intended are just in general really good practices. Right. Like a, from like a user general like design standpoint almost. Yeah, in general. And, you know, it's a good way to differentiate ourselves, too. I mean, there would be companies on the, you know, other end of the spectrum, say like Strymon, for example, that mm -hmm. has incredible like Eventide or something. Yeah, yeah. Eventide mm -hmm. would be another one. So, yeah, I remember asking Jamie because I saw Annie Clark's pedal board and she had like eight of these H9 Mm -hmm. eventide pedals yeah. on her board and I'm like why does she need eight of them and he's like well you know it does all these things but you can only do one thing at a one time, time. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like oh okay right and then um you know found out how much those cost and was right flabbergasted by that um but like what are, they, are they like four or five hundred dollars yeah something I think for one I think yeah. so yeah. like maybe even like eight hundred oh wow um for like the fancy one but don't hold me to that okay no, we won't yeah but they I remember them being really expensive and thinking you know that's amazing for her and that's so cool that that works for her but that you could probably find a lot of those tones within our more analog pedals as well mm -hmm. and be able to get get to the same place but in a less complicated way right mm -hmm. yeah and it's yeah and in, in no way am I suggesting that like women don't want to learn those things but I think that because of socialization that there are a lot of women who are told that that's not a space for them like the tech space required to um I to, would believe it yeah I mean that's yeah. Wild. Well that's um, another reason why we used to have more demo stations that were running through amps Mm -hmm. And then 
you know, if you're running through an amp, it's not just you that's listening to whatever you're you're playing. And when you're testing out a pedal, I don't know how you do it, but you're not playing your best licks or whatever. You're kind of just <laughs> trying to play what you want to play to understand the way the pedal works. And it's probably not helpful for anybody but you <laughs> to hear it that. It becomes like a weird performance. Right. A weird performance. And that if we can keep everything through headphones, then everything is just for you. You know, you can experiment however you want. And I think that that helps people with their nerves, you know. Yeah, I think there's probably been a lot of that, but we really try to avoid any of those pitfalls. And, mm -hmm. you know, when we're going to a show like NAM uh, last month, I think it's a common thing for any sort of sales person to just lead with features and technical information and just kind of start telling you stuff where I always try and ask my staff, which only like a handful of them have sales as any part of their role. A lot of people that come for that show are builders or doing other roles within the company and they come out just to work the show. Instead of telling people what you think they want to hear, start asking them questions and see what they want to know about and then right. start there. <laughs> so, right. Reverse uh, engineer it. Yeah. Reverse yeah. engineer it instead of, you know, maybe they're completely unfamiliar with their brand. Maybe they only want to know about the new stuff. Um, what instrument do they play? What style of music do they like to play? All those things can kind of help you hone in on what they might find interesting, you know, instead of just giving them these canned speeches, try and get to know them a bit better. That's really yeah. smart. Yeah. And it seems so much more like customer centric. Yeah, it's definitely the way I'd prefer to be treated as a customer for sure. Mm. Yeah. Do you have thoughts? Or I guess I'm curious because that does seem like a useful way to, you know, as a potential customer, I'd much rather have that experience. But I also think that like just the ways that people are treated by companies in general contributes to that. And it sounds like you've done some support around that with with your employees. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if there's anything else in particular that you've can say that you're you're you've done or things that have been helpful for you around like supporting equity and diversity in your at EQD. Sure. I mean, I do make an like say for example at NAM before the show on Wednesday night we always go out for a fancy team dinner. And um well, let's also say, you know, we also always bring women on our crew. Mm -hmm. Um and that's important to me as well. Um, I mean, how can you be diverse if you're not diverse at all? But I just make sure that I'm telling everyone I don't want people to feel like they're getting hit on or something like that. <laughs> like, you know, to really treat people as people, to keep all of that kind of stuff out of it, to make sure <clears throat> that you don't make any silly pitfalls like going up to a couple and only addressing the man, you know, mm -hmm. um, the male. Classic. Yeah, classic. And just to make sure that everybody is getting, you know, their respectful attention. And then I also do have to coach them. Like, you know, there's some people that they're just like psychic vampires and they're going to want to talk to you forever about things that <laughs> are not, you know, like not what we're here for. So be careful, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> That's <laughs> <Yeah>. so real. <laughs> it is. It is. And it is NAM, you know. Oh, yeah. And at NAM too, it's not just our customers. It's people that are looking to pitch us on something and, mm -hmm things like that. And I'm, 
I don't know, sometimes I get really frustrated by how much of my time is kind of managing other people's requests of me. And yeah, yeah, it's a challenge for sure. Yeah. But what a, yeah, what a kooky industry we're in. <laughs> it's, it's wild. It's, yeah, it's great and, uh, and hilarious and all of those things at the same time. Yeah, that's it. You keep a good sense of humor about things. So when I was when I was at NAM, speaking of NAM, I would mm-hmm. I, you know, talked to a lot of different folks and I asked them like who they looked up to around like who is doing gender and diversity well in the industry and like a bunch of folks, you know, almost unanimously said Earthquaker. Um, and I'm curious to you what that responsibility means. You know, I'm really more than happy for anybody to emulate anything like that that we're doing. And I do, you know, want to be a good role model for people. I'd like to be, I don't think I would sleep well at night if I felt like I wouldn't be, you know, doing something that other people should do too. You know, Mm -hmm. it would just bother me. So yeah, especially in these areas, like I'm less enthused if there's any sort of, um, not do our graphics or our color schemes or like anything like <laughs> Which that. Which are beautiful too. Thank you. Yeah. And, <laughs> and we have had like a few, you know, instances of, and we've got like cloners out there and stuff like that. People making, mm-hmm. making clones. I don't love that, um, mm-hmm. for example. But in terms of like incorporating what we do into their marketing strategy or their NAM demo schedule, making sure that they're including not just dudes and not just white people, then I'm like thrilled with that. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a lot of companies that I am buddies with. And, you know, we throw this party every year for all the pedal builders. JHS usually sponsors it with us and it's really fun. And I just try and get everybody together. I feel like it's kind of a weird industry that we're not super competitive with each other. We're competitive but helpful to each other yeah it seems like everybody wants to be supportive of each other which is really nice like I feel like everybody's like oh it's my buddies from all the other companies That's that are right. te- technically competitors but also let's high five yeah yeah and you're seeing a lot of like collaborations between brands mm-hmm. in the industry and things like that so I think that all that is great So I'm curious, like, as, you know, what some of the issues that have come up specifically for you as like a, you know, in the, (laughs) in the biz, like as like a female business owner, if there have been Mm -hmm. any particular challenges for you around that? Well, I think, you know, balancing motherhood and your business responsibilities is always a huge challenge. But honestly, owning my own business where I'm in control over my schedule is a huge challenge it's great. I can go to whatever event I, I need to go to at their school or run them around for their doctor's appointments. I mean, there's so much of parenting that is literally just being there and dropping off and picking up. And there's so much of that. (laughs) And uh, now they're at different schools and they go in different directions. So there's a lot of that. So, you know, when I worked at the bank, that was one of my big challenges, burning Mm -hmm. my PTO for just dentist appointments and things like that. So that's something that I do for my other employees, too, is that we have flexible scheduling. I think there's only eight people that are on a nine to five Mm -hmm. and everybody else has some other schedule that works for them, for their family situation, you know, and I'm always making sure they know, hey, you can schedule doctor's appointments during work time, you know, and you can either 
make up your hours some other time or use mm -hmm. PTO or save your PTO, whatever you want to do. Right. You know, but don't not go to the doctor or therapy <laughs> or the dentist or whatever. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's something that I really took with me and, and have focused on. And I think that's why we have low turnover. And one of the reasons why we have happy employees, because that can be a big challenge for anyone with a family on trying to navigate that side of things. You know, I've of course gotten really stupid comments in public spaces. Yeah. Some just like disgusting stuff. There was one amp show in California at this hotel and it's every brand would have their own hotel room. And this guy, he said something like he fell asleep in a blow job the night before and wanted to trade some cum for puddles. I was ah! just like flabbergasted, <laughs> completely flabbergasted or like even some magazines, their ad reps have said like just really dumb things. Nobody we're continuing to advertise with, FYI. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just a lot of stuff like that. Or I think, you know, when I first started going to shows, the the trade shows, and I didn't know that much that I would, you know, people just wouldn't think they could talk to me or not want to mm -hmm. talk to me, or, you know, things like that. But later I realized I didn't really want to talk to them anyways. And so <laughs> it's better if I have people that are really good at that, they're mm -hmm. handling that side of things so that I can not be answering questions that are a bit over my head on the technical side. Yeah. I remember the, the first thing I ever went to, the first guy that came up was like, are these true bypass? And I was like, I don't know. Like what's true bypass. And he was like, Ugh, like horrified and walked away. <laughs> And then Jamie's like, yeah, they are all true bypass. And then like the more that I know, I'm like, why does anybody even care? And you need something with buffer bypass. So you got tone stuck. Mm -hmm. So like, what's your problem? Like, what is that? Why is that a buying feature for you? I just don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the time, at the time, I feel like, yeah, that that's part of the thing. I feel like, what is this like one piece of knowledge that I can hold over you and, you know, to make it seem yeah. more, you know? Yeah. I think that there's. There's definitely some, what is that, like posturing or something mm -hmm. that happens in a lot of those conversations. But more frequently, I find myself at the other end where people are just telling me all about their rig and, mm -hmm. and I like totally pretend to be interested. And sometimes I actually am, but <laughs> I would say most times I'm just being polite. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Thanks yeah. for the story. I love your rig that I've yeah. never heard. Yeah. Oh, hear. wow. That's amazing. Mm. Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> Go on. Yeah. But I mean, I've learned a lot by that, by listening to people and how they do what they're doing. And yeah, it's just not all like practical knowledge for me. I guess. <laughs> I think I have like a finite amount of like disk space. I'm like, what am I losing by taking this in? So you have like this like fairly intentional process around working with your employees and how mm -hmm. you're presenting yourselves to the world. I'm curious how that works when you're interacting with like dealers because you're able to have more control over when it's just Earthquaker. But yeah. how do you deal with, with dealers who maybe aren't on the same page? Whew, I really haven't had any issues with dealers on that side. And Anna handles the majority of our accounts and... She's a lady and she doesn't seem to have issues of 
not being treated respectfully, you know? I think and- I'm, I'm, I'm thinking less about the, the treatment of the, of your employees as much as like how they maybe do their marketing or the way that they run things in their store or how they treat their customers who are selling your, yeah. your stuff. And I guess we're a step or two removed from that, that, um, you know, I can't think of getting any complaints from customers about dealers about anything, you know? Um, I don't think that that's like trickling. That's not how it works. (laughs) That's not like trickling up to us. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then in terms of like marketing, there's, okay, so there's companies that do do marketing and then there's companies that don't do any marketing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there's the dividing line. I have seen. (laughs) Step one. So yeah, for companies that are doing marketing, such as like Guitar Center, for example, I've noticed some changes in their print advertising. For sure. Where And it's not, um, women aren't being sexualized, but they're being represented. I really like stuff where you see, you know, women playing music in a really natural band setting. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've been seeing more stuff like that with them and Fender and things like that. You know, before we had our own in-house marketing, we really were just regurgitating everyone else's content and it was all generally male content. And that's why we really wanted, one of the reasons why we wanted to change the story and make our own content (laughs) so Mm -hmm. that there was this other, other stuff out there beyond whatever they felt like doing for us with their in-house demo people. I think Reverb, you know, they have done more to include women in their video marketing, although it's still mostly male. Um, but they're a company that I've worked with, even though we're not, you know, directly on their platform, we've collaborated on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I've always found them, you know, fun to work with. I really like a lot of those folks over there. Yeah, I wish I had more info for you. And that's something that I'll no, like, keep it, an eye out for. That was just something that I was curious yeah. about, because I wasn't sure whether it even gets back to you or not, or if people even would think to go to you if they would work directly with the store if they had an issue. Or maybe everything's awesome and everybody's cool. And that's great. Yeah, I kind of doubt uh, that everything is great. I think that probably every every store has something that they could improve on in their treatment of non-white dudes, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, broadly, anyone that doesn't fit into that criteria in terms of making them feel welcome and their products to feel accessible. Yeah, I would say if anybody has any experiences out in the field they want to let us know about to <laughs> to please let us know and we'll you know definitely take ever, all that into consideration you know do you have recommendations for companies whether they're other companies or dealers about what they could do to help improve gender and diversity in, in music year sure well i think it would be a lot of the same things that we've done to like mm-hmm. look at your marketing materials and make sure it's not all one way that you're including a lot of other people And that way, you know, you can't be pigeonholed. And I think that, like, there's a lot of companies that I really admire that are outside of the gear industry. I don't know. I follow Refinery29, Mm. which is like a beauty and other stuff. But they, I feel like, are really good about showing not just white women and all sorts Mm. of different shapes and stuff like that. You know, Mm. I think that that is really super cool. So, you know, like, when they're approaching this, don't think about it from 
the perspective of like trying to find the hottest women that you need to like, please keep all that out of it. You know what I mean? I don't think you're doing that with men. So please extend women the same thing. I would say certainly take in some sexual harassment prevention training and inclusiveness training. And I know that that's something that you're doing as well. And, you know, we've done that through our payroll software where, you know, it helps you understand what sort of behaviors that may have been felt okay in the past really aren't and how they make other people feel. And so a lot of that is just leaving any sort of sexuality outside of it and treat everybody professionally and courteously and respectfully. And if you're always being careful to do that, you're probably going to be okay. Um, But it couldn't hurt to go the extra mile and really make sure that you're rolling out the red carpet for people that maybe don't feel as welcome. And that way you can help change the narrative. Yeah. So it's like one, because it's one thing to hire hire folks that are you know like folks of color or trans folks or cis women and it's another thing for them to actually feel comfortable working in your space right right yeah so you know i would say there's a lot of kind of grumpy folks working at music stores and what yeah come on (laughs) yeah and that you just don't know how you're grumpiness could be perceived by the person on the other side. And if you're a woman or a person of color, it's easy to perceive that it could be in relation to you when really it could be you're just your baseline is you're pretty grumpy. Mm -hmm. So um, you really need to look at your own behaviors and your staff's behaviors and probably have some policies around that to make sure everybody understands how you want people to be treated. Um, and how you want people to feel in your store. And without doing that, you're leaving everything really up to chance. And in my opinion, leaving things up to chance, you're probably not going to get the results you're looking for. It's much Mm -hmm. better to have sort of a policy or a, a guide to how you want your customers to be treated. Yeah. People do it. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. Uh, I don't ask much people. This is it. So I, I do want to ha- uh, ask two last things, which is, um, who else do you think I should interview? Sure. You know, um, I've always felt like a uh, camaraderie with Heather of Death by Audio. Mm-hmm. And um, I can't really think of any interviews that she's done. So I'd love to hear her take on a lot of the same things that we've talked about today. Cool. Um, and there's a lot of awesome women in the industry and the pedal industry. There's some people that I can think of off the the top of my head. Oh, there's a woman in New York, Kathy. uh, I'm going to probably mispronounce her last name incorrectly. So I'll just say what she's known by on Instagram and that's data choir sounds. Oh yeah. She's done a lot of, you know, partnering with old blood noise. And I think she's super cool. I'd love to hear more from her. So earlier this week, I recorded a podcast with uh, LG Lauren Gilbert of Thelma and the Sleaze. Oh, cool. And um, her podcast is called Queen of Shit Mountain. And <laughs> I love her. And I think she'd be, make a great guest. Um, nice. She's out and in her podcast, she gets to ask the questions, but, uh, you know, maybe turn the tables on, mm. on her, you know, mm-hmm. 
And then there's just, you know, so many female musicians I admire and would be really interested to hear what they have to say. But I'd probably be better to email you a list. Cool. That sounds yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, it's a really long list, too. I, I believe it. I'm, I'm yeah. ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. So is there um, a particular way that you would want folks to be able to, to keep up with you, keep up with Earthquaker? Sure. Yeah, we, you know, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're putting out a lot of great videos all the time. And that's, you know, Earthquaker devices. We've got Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. That's a really good way to see what we're up to. Oh, we've also got a text to tone hotline. Well, if you want to be the first to find out when pedals come out. And I promise we're not going to be texting you all the time. It's really only when something special happens and it's like less than once a month that's that's genius thank you thank you <laughs> it was inspired like i went to dollywood and they were like sign up for and i was like we, we should do this <laughs> yeah. have you listened to the dolly parton podcast yes oh my god yeah that's I a really like I, good one i could talk about that forever <laughs> me too me too i'm 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 a big fan i'm a big fan yeah. So, and then, you know, something else I'd also like to mention everybody, we've got a lifetime warranty and uh, we just rolled out a new process for troubleshooting. We've got a knowledge base on our website. So it's a transferable warranty. So we don't really care if you bought it new or used, we will repair it or help you troubleshoot because lots of times it's not broken. There's something else going on. So maybe yeah. your power supply or your cable. If I'm looking at odds. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> You've got 15 pedals lined up. With, what's the problem? No one knows. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. right. Cool. Well, that is great. Thank you so much. This has been a delight. Thank you, I, Hillary. I also, I also want to shout out your dog that was walking around in the background here, which listeners obviously can't see, but it was very cute. Oh, yes. she goes with me everywhere. So, yeah. My, my right hand dog oh yeah shout out to you shout out to the dog <laughs> shout you. out to earthquakers uh cool thanks so much thank you god so much good stuff from julie it's was always clear to me that earthquaker was doing great work but i think it's super helpful to hear all the very specific ways that she is intentional in creating a positive space for employees and really prioritizing positive and diverse representation as a company, like from providing benefits and flexible schedules for employees to like specifically reaching out to cis women, trans, non-binary artists, artists of color for their videos. Thanks so much to Julie and Earthquaker. Um, so great. So, you know, once again, if you want to see Julie's mentions, follow Julie or Earthquaker, grab one of their fabulous pedals. You just need to check the show notes for links. All right. So one of the recommendations Julie made for making change in the industry was for companies to provide sexual harassment and inclusiveness training. And I spoke a bit about some of the issues related to racism in the workplace in the last episode, episode seven, but I wanted to take a sec to specifically talk about sexual harassment training. And I know that seems weird since many of us are working from home right now and no one's hopefully touching anyone else. Uh, but obviously we know sexual harassment is much more than just touching. 
And these issues are relevant literally everywhere. And for some companies who are now virtual or even dealing with social media, the opportunities for weird or harassing behavior really just may have shifted their medium from in-person to online. Plus, eventually folks will be back in person again. And right now, as things are a bit slower, it's a great time to think about how to really like live your company's values through this work. Okay, so hopefully if you've gotten this far, you're on board with the importance of this training, you're listening to this podcast, that's a great start. But people should feel included and safe in your spaces, right? So you're, you're, you're on board. And if you want to create a positive and supportive workplace culture, one that leads to like a happier staff, better staff retention, productivity, creativity, it's really a no brainer. And in some states, regular training is required by law now. So, you know, often companies are simply too focused on compliance and liability, though, and they're really focused on checking the sexual harassment training box. I'm putting that in air quotes. Um, and so they end up missing the mark. So the irony is that trainings done with the outcome of like checking the box uh, over creating a positive workplace culture are proven to be ineffective. They just don't work. And unfortunately, many trainings currently fit this description. And that's why sexual harassment trainings often get a bad rap uh, because there's like a lot of boring legalese with a focus on compliance only. You know, who wants a boring, ineffective program that wastes everyone's time? No one. Literally no one wants that. You sure don't. Your employees don't want it either, right? So what does work in a sexual harassment training, you may ask? So here are five tips about what actually works. So first of all, trainings should be regular, right? So one and done training is not enough. It has to also have a real focus on actually changing the entire culture of your organization. One training is not going to do that. So if you want to create a positive culture and organization, it's going to take time. And the more challenges you currently have, the longer it will take to undo problematic organizational systems, problematic assumptions and behaviors of staff. Um, and as mentioned, like several states requiring that this happens, and so it should be happening regularly, right? And you might have to, depending on the state, you might have to do it every year at least. But the, you know, the bare minimum here won't cut it if you need to make real change. So number two, training should be conversational. So interactive, prefer preferably in-person trainings are best. We know that, you know, right now a lot of stuff's happening uh, virtually. And I think virtual trainings have really improved and I've been working on that myself. There are a lot of really great ways that you can use some virtual technology to get folks to have conversations that maybe was harder to do in the past. But in general, they should be conversational, right? So rote memorization of terms and like off the shelf trainings are not going to cut it. So conversations with coworkers and quality responsive and adaptive facilitation are key and effective training. So number three, trainings should use real life examples and role plays. You will likely not be shocked to hear that like the terrible, cheesy sexual harassment videos of yesteryear are totally ineffective. <laughs> uh, when I was working for day one at the Sexual Assault and Trauma Resource Center of Rhode Island, I ran across this VHS video called Out of Bounds. It was wild. Um, and this was specifically for high schoolers, but, you know, I'll, I'll try to link to it somehow in the show notes, but it, it was had an example of a female musician trying out for a band getting harassed. And it was so ridiculous. Um, and it was really amazing and only the way a video from 1990 can be, but it was amazing because it was 
just ridiculous, right? It's not amazing because I actually think it's effective. Anyway, employees want to talk about real situations that really happen, right? So like you need to make sure that it's relevant to to the folks in the space, right? So videos with like bad acting are, you know, and ridiculous situations are distracting and they make it look like sexual harassment isn't really a serious topic, which is the opposite of what we should be doing. So what works then, right? So real conversations about things like microaggressions, which I've talked about in the past, uh, subtle nuances in behavior that can uh, set the stage for harassment or create an environment where harassment seems acceptable or okay. Uh, employees can talk about the dynamics that, you know, and how they can work it out themselves. Then they can like role play positive responses to actually have a chance to practice what this might look like to respond more actively or as an active bystander. So like, for example, you might think about how an employee talks to a potential customer. If a customer is harassing them, how do you deal with a, um, a buyer or like something like that. So uh, a retailer who you want to be, you know, buying your product, how do you talk to them if they're maybe engaging in weird behavior, right? So that's, <laughs> it's a very specific issue, but it's one that people need training on. So four, trainings should be for both staff and management. Sexual harassment training, gender equity training, diversity and inclusion training, all of these need to have support from the top down, right? The top of your organization needs to support it. If management doesn't support these efforts or like even worse, they model negative behavior themselves, change is just never going to happen, right? So like companies who do not have the support from the top, they just need to sit tight and wait for sexual harassment complaints to come in because if they haven't yet, they will, right? Not to mention, you know, issues with like staff leaving, turnover, you know, poor workplace culture, um, and not only will they be bad for the victim and the overall like company morale, they'll be expensive and bad for you and your brand. So uh, we're getting towards the end here. Five, trainings should be only one part of your solution. So yes, trainings are important. So all your staff are on the same page, right? Like that is crucial. But trainings are not effective in a vacuum, right? They can't be the only thing. Policies, hiring practices, changing longstanding workplace norms play a huge role in supporting the impact of trainings. And that could be everything from like thinking about how you structure meetings, right? Like to how you manage your virtual spaces. These are all a part of the workplace culture as a whole. So trainings are a crucial part of transforming your workplace culture, but they are just one part. So that's, those are my main tips. Now, you know, thinking about now as a perfect time to get moving and like running forward with sexual harassment trainings, like the right way, uh, in a way that actually works. It can be done right now. I know that people feel like they have a lot of other things to be doing, but it's easy, easier now, I think, to restructure and think about what we want things to look like, right? So our culture is obviously talking about sexual harassment. Your employees are talking about it. There's plenty of research showing that staff and customers are moving towards companies who care deeply about their workplace culture. So for most companies, it's super important to get on board with this sooner rather than later so they don't get left behind, right? And if you want to talk more about sexual harassment training or anything else related to gender and diversity in the music, your community, or uh, elsewhere, if you have uh, particular challenges that you want to discuss, definitely shoot me a message at hillary at hillarybjones.com. Also, as a note, 
I'll be sharing the results from my gender and music year experiences survey shortly. So if you want to make sure you hear about those results, check the show notes to join my newsletter. Thanks so much. And thanks for listening. 